All right, good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so glad that you're here with us. Uh, I consider myself somewhat of a topical preacher, and so there's no denying that football is over. Um, yesterday was a rough day for all of us, and I thought the best way to uplift our spirits would be to get involved with a really good cause. Um, so as some of you know, one of the, the Westbrook's favorite things to do is the UAMS Partners Card. Uh, Miss Johnny has those today. You can talk to Farah. Miss Johnny is accepting checks, and Farah can do Venmo. But I was looking through this in the back, and I think Christmas is basically done if you use this gift card, at least for Whitney. So Whitney, don't buy one. I want it to be a surprise uh, where your gifts are coming from for the Christmas. But there's a lot of stuff in there. But it's a wonderful thing to help out with with UAMS, and obviously it will bring a smile to Miss Johnny's face, and who wouldn't want to do that? So if you can help her out, you can see Miss Johnny after worship to get one of these UAMS partner cards. Let's pray together, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are, God, and the opportunity we have to come together, Lord, to sing praises, to share in communion with one another, God, and to study your word. As we enter into this text this morning, God, uh, use it and mold us with it. That's your son that we pray. Amen. So when I was in elementary school, my family would do movie night. It's a very common thing. Popcorn, family movie. That was something that we did almost every weekend. And like most families, you rotate who gets to pick what movie. And one particular weekend, it was my mother's chance to pick the movie, and she picked The Sound of Music. So boo, hiss from all the people in the family. Um, but we decided, because we're a family, we're going to rock together. So we decided we're going to watch The Sound of Music. Now, if you haven't ever seen The Sound of Music, you're okay. But I'll give you just a quick, brief summary of what it is. It's these small children who have excellent voices. They love to sing, don't want to go to bed. And then there's also a woman named Maria who is trying to figure out if she's going to be a nun or not and then accidentally falls in love with the Captain Van Trapp. There you go. Saved you a few hours of that movie. <laughs> now, as a kid, my summary would just be like, these kids like to sing. That's really all I remembered from that movie. Uh, and we, we watched it. I remember my mom liked it. It was one of her favorite movies and wanted to share just a little bit of theater with her children, and we just rejected it. Um, but it, it, there's some things from The Sound of Music that stuck with me. And to kind of connect those dots, I have to tell you what elementary school Bryce was like. Uh, I was a good kid, but I was often very distracted in school. Um, I was bored a lot in classrooms, and so what I would do is I would doodle a lot. Some of you are already seeing where the story's going. I would draw these doodles all the time, especially when if I finished an assignment early, uh, maybe there was just free time in, in the classroom, I would draw different shapes. Nothing terrible. But as some of you remember, one weekend we watched a new movie that I'd never seen before with kids singing everywhere, but there was also a new design that Bryce had never seen before. Okay, thank you, Jamie Banks. So, fast forward to school that next week. I'm sitting in class. We finished the assignment. Uh, Miss Vincent, what's her name? This is a real story. Miss Vincent was like, take some time. You can doodle. You can draw if you'd like. And I'm, I'm drawing those shapes that I showed you just a minute ago, triangles, squares, stuff like that. And then I remember, hey, that movie Mom made us watch had a, a design that I'd never seen before. And I go into my kid brain, and I start drawing that all over the paper, right? Because I, I, 
I couldn't really remember what it looked like, but I remembered enough of the shape that I was just going to practice until I got it right. Now, elementary school, Bryce, kids are quiet, and the teacher's doing that thing that teachers do, where they just kind of walk around and see what kids are working on. Imagine the horror on that lady's face when you're doing the walkthrough, and you're like, whoa, we've got some fascism going on over here in this section of the classroom. Now, I tell that story because of her response. I'll never forget it. Miss Vincent did that teacher thing where she got down. She said, hey, can we talk at my desk for a little bit? And I said, absolutely. She said, go ahead and bring that paper with you. We're going to go ahead and bring that to my desk. And we went and we sat down at her desk. And she said, do you understand what you're drawing? And I said, no, it was, we watched a movie about it this weekend. Now, the teacher could have e- easily said, we're going to do a home visit with these people, or he's probably watched The Sound of Music and just didn't understand it. Because I, I think I said, like, hey, the kids were singing and everything. She goes, oh, my goodness. Okay, I've assessed the situation. This is not an alerting moment. But she said, do you understand what you're drawing? I said, absolutely not. It was just, I saw it on a movie. I was trying to remember it as best I could as an elementary kid. And she said, hey, that that carries a lot of weight. And I don't think you understand what it means, so let's not draw that uh, at school anymore. Uh, We're good. But the the grace and the compassion of somebody willing to say, hey, do you know what that really means? Because I I don't think you do. Years, uh, a few years ago, I was speaking at a church, and, and they took me to their coffee area before I spoke. And their coffee area was called Hebrews. Excellent name of a coffee area, like Chef's Kiss. Excellent work, church. Uh, They called it Hebrews. I don't know what that design is there, but they called it Hebrews. And below it, they had this scripture here, which is the scripture that we're going to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three gather in my name, I am with them, is from the words of Jesus. Now, I had not been paid yet, and so I was not about to correct these people. Mama didn't raise no fool. I hadn't got that check. I was not about to say, hey, do you guys know what that verse really means? Because if you understand what Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it's not talking about gathering together at the coffee nook at your church. It's about church discipline. It is about the way that a church gathers together and handles a difficult situation. It's not about having the Bible study at Starbucks. We use this verse, out of all the verses that we're going to look at, I would say that Christians use this verse incorrectly more than any other ones. I had lunch with Eddie Creighton two weeks ago. We were joking about something, and I used this verse with Eddie Creighton at David's Burgers. That is not what Jesus meant when he said these words for Bryce and Eddie to be goofing off at David's Burgers. This is, again, a verse about church discipline. And so I want to walk through very quickly this morning the book of Matthew chapter 18. So if you want to go there right now, take that chance. And we'll start off with where the disciples start off. Because Matthew chapter 18 is the fourth of five discourses that the gospel of Matthew gives us. So Matthew walks through these four big pieces. And the fourth one is called church discipline, like church life. where That's the whole focus of the book. And the book begins with Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 through 5. With the disciples saying, who's going to be in charge? Like, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We've talked a lot about the disciples' desire to know who is going to have the most power over and over again. And that is where Matthew 18 begins. With, again, that desire to know who is going to be in charge. 
And so Jesus responds, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus is referencing social classes here. It feels cute and cuddly. Like we, we love kids. We, we love our children's ministry program. Like we understand that element in our society. But in this context, what Jesus was actually doing was taking the lowest social class person that he could grab, and he puts them in front of him and says, unless you become like this kid. Kids were overlooked. They were disregarded in a lot of contexts and situations. And so Jesus said, like, unless you become of this low status like this kid, that is humble, that's just happy to be here, that isn't worried about who's going to be first, unless you become like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's a powerful beginning to a verse that we often kind of associate with, like, oh, how cute kids are. But what Jesus is really saying is this has to be your mentality from day one when it comes to church life. And so then he moves forward from this context of talking about children to Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 through 7, where he talks about stumbling. And again, he uses children as a vehicle to have this conversation. But if, if you're missing it, Jesus is expanding this. We started with a child as the focus point, but now we're talking about anyone stumbling. It's not just about kids, because again, this whole fourth discourse in the Gospel of Matthew is about church life. And when we understand that, we can really start to piece together why Jesus is giving us this text the way that he is. And so verses 6 through 7 says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus talking. Um, this often, you know, this is one of those things where you're like maybe looking at your text and be like, is the translation off? No. This is what Jesus said, or at least this is what Matthew records from the words of Jesus. The millstone would have been the heaviest thing that he could have thought of in that situation. This is a dark passage that talks about the seriousness of causing another person to stumble. Jesus says, that hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world! because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person that causes them to come. Jesus is talking about how are you living your life in a church community? Church community is, in reality, fragile. It is a blessing, but it is fragile. We have to recognize that. So Jesus is saying, if you're in a church community and you are causing somebody in that community to stumble... The same people that we just talked about that would inherit the kingdom of heaven, it would be better off if you put the heaviest thing that you could find and just jump into a lake. Jesus is exercising this, this idea of how serious it is to protect Christian community, how vital it is. This seems like a harsh passage from Jesus, but it emphasizes the seriousness of Christ in this moment, of what we do when we gather matters. How our actions affect other people in that same community. And what we need to be doing is protecting it and living these humble, lowly lifestyles like we see in the children in verses 3 through 5. But this is where Jesus comes in and gives us the passage that Ryan read a little while ago. Just what do you think? The parable of the lost sheep. What do you think? 
If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that, that any of these little ones should perish. We often disconnect these passages for sermons and teaching moments. But they're all connected when we understand that this is a discourse on church life and church community. Years ago at my old church, I used to have this phrase that I would use all the time where I want you to go where you'll grow. It felt good saying it. I, felt, I was very proud of myself. I'm pretty sure I created it. Um, but I would say that all the time. And it was of, often in reference to when people left. We like, oh, we just want them to go where they'll grow. And put a smile on and then you lick your wounds later. But now I realize how silly that phrase was. What I should have been doing in those moments is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 18, 12 through 14. I should have been pursuing those individuals and saying, hey, what can I do to make you feel like you can stay here and that you can grow here? I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay here and be a part of this congregation that I believe, again, as I said it before, the best people in central Arkansas. It's a mentality, but it also talks about how fragile church is again. Where Jesus is emphasizing that as a church community, we should do whatever it takes to make sure that not even one person leaves. If that person makes a decision to go somewhere else, that's on them. But as a church, we should be doing whatever we can. Now, the, the passage that we're looking at this morning, 18 verse 20, really begins in this section starting with verse 15. Where Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins... Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. This section begins in a very kind of mature way. Because we've just talked about making people wear the millstone and jump into the lake. Now we're talking about dealing with church conflict, church disagreements. And when Jesus talks about this, the introduction to this is, if you've got a disagreement with the person, go to them one-on-one. Notice, he doesn't say, put it on the Nextdoor app, put it on Facebook. He's saying, go have a mature adult conversation with this person. If you've got a problem, if you have an issue, go to them directly. He says, if they listen to you, you've won. This is what you wanted. You want reconciliation in this community. But Jesus continues. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I've shared a few stories from my school years, and I'll share one more. When I was in middle school, we had a program called Peer Mediation. I chose this particular logo because it looks like it says Poor Mediation, which is what this program was. Um, The idea behind Peer Mediation at James Madison Middle School was a a situation where kids would help other kids resolve conflicts. Some of our educators in this room are looking at me in horror. What a terrible idea, especially middle schoolers, right? To tell a middle school kid, hey, Billy has a problem with Joey. What we're going to do is put you two in a room with them, and you guys are going to solve their problems. That's what they did. That was what the adults in this institution said, this is the best thing that we can do for these kids and their conflicts. Let them figure it out. We were already doing that on the recess yard. We didn't need this mediation thing. 
But I bring that story up because it was such a bad idea because we were immature. We weren't shareholders in these situations. We were just nosy. We were like, I want to know what the tea is. I want to know the gossip. I want to know why they're fighting. I volunteer. I'll do peer mediation. And all we were really doing was making the problem worse because we were just letting them fight amongst themselves kind of as front row witnesses. But when Jesus says these words about bringing two to three people here, his audience, specifically Matthew's audience, would have immediately gone to the Old Testament. Because Matthew is likely referencing a passage that we have from Deuteronomy 19 that reads, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of a crime or offense that they they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Continuing in this passage, If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who were in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. If the witness proves to be a liar and giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. Which is where Matthew's audience would have immediately gone when Jesus talks about adding two to three witnesses. But Jesus continues here. Because I want you to see that this is not just about dealing with conflict. It's about making sure your Christian community is healthy. Because Jesus adds another layer to this. We've gone from the individual to now there's basically two additional mature shareholders in this to verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now Matthew, again, is referencing that passage that we saw from Deuteronomy 19. But it can't be overlooked what Jesus is stressing. That the church should be involved in these disputes in a way that is nurturing, that is caring, that says, hey, we are shareholders in this community. We want this church to be healthy. We want you guys to get along. We want these relationships to be restored. Often this section is, is one that is used when we're trying to exile somebody from a Christian community. But the intent there is not that. Jesus' intent is about restoration, reconciliation, healing broken relationships. I mean, look at the steps. It's one individual going to the other person. It's two individuals that are brought in to say, hey, let's figure this out. And the third step here is to bring the church in and say, how can we fix what is broken? See, the church has an active role in the relationship rebuilding of reconciliation. Now, Jesus continues in verse 18, and we'll get to that last verse here in just a moment. It says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. This passage doesn't sound like individuals that are at a coffee shop. This passage sounds like a church that's trying to work through a difficult season. And Jesus is laying the foundation for what it looks like to coexist in a church community with people who disagree. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be mature Christians about this, this is how you work through difficult situations. And so we get chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Again, not as a reference of just two Christians gathering together at Starbucks. But more so, Jesus is saying, I am with you even in these difficult seasons. 
My presence is there when you gather together to resolve church conflict, church difficulties. I am there. Friends, this is way more comforting than just realizing that two people are hanging out at David's Burgers, joking about being a Christian community. This carries the weight that God or that Christ will be with us through these difficult seasons. Furthermore, this stresses how fragile church is. This church community has experienced that. When we've lost people, when people have left this community because they disagree with maybe some of the changes that we've made, it hurts. It stinks. Sometimes it feels like, man, what are we doing? Why why are people leaving? But this passage is a comfort to make us realize that even in those difficult seasons, Christ is with us. And so this week, as you look through this text, I find hope in it. That even as a church that maybe we have disagreements or difficulties that we're going through, Christ is there. Even if we find ourselves in difficult and challenging seasons, Christ is there. Because this text is about reconciliation and our role in helping God restore the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand together and sing.